This world is tired of surface level faith. And I hope as you're listening to this, we are shouting, high-fiving the air, saying amen. We want a faith that's more than a mouthpiece. We want a faith that prompts our hands, our feet, our voices, our minds to action. The kind that does something that screams authenticity. We want God like the apostles my God. Maybe you're wondering how this that were life-altering, where he took the lowest of society and lavished them in his extravagant love, calling them higher, where he took those that couldn't see and blessed them with sight, where the sick were healed, where they experienced him. They experienced him in ways others could not deny nor take away. We yearn for real. We yearn for genuine. And, and the way for real and genuine is found as we allow God's love to flow over us and to consume us. Hey guys, my name is Jessica Hartzold and I am obsessed with all things Jesus. I am a lover of my Bible and a pursuer of our Lord, but I am also a woman who makes mistakes doesn't always get it right. I haven't always been a follower of Jesus. Boy, have I not. However, during one of the most difficult times of my life, God illuminated for me the power of a choice and this gift of free will. She Chooses is a podcast purpose to help you fall in love with Jesus. And in doing so, learning how to harness this gift of free will by taking life one choice at a time. Let's get started. What's love got to do with it, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do with it, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? You may be listening to this right now and have no clue what I just tried to sing to you. <laughs> Do not laugh. I don't sing. And clearly you have just realized that I do not sing. However, you just like cannot read those words or think those words or whatever without putting them to the beat. These, if you're not familiar with these lyrics, these are four sentences or lyrics to a secular song made popular by artist Tina Turner, a woman who unfortunately has a horrific backstory of abuse. A woman who this song um, was made popular when she released it. The meaning of what's love got to do with it. It's one telling a lover their attraction to the other is going to remain only that, an attraction. That their relationship is strictly physical. Perhaps you too have relegated love to that same place. For us, when it comes to Christ, some of us have told God without telling him that our relationship with him is strictly going to stay at head knowledge, leaving love on a shelf completely out of the question, stalling our relationship with him to a place where we know of him, but we don't know him. Previously, we've talked about our heart. If you want to link to that episode, check it out in the show notes. But in that episode, we discussed how our heart's natural state, according to God, is stone. Cold, dead, hard. 
And we talked about God's desire to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and how that happens through the process of sanctification. As God, he calls us deeper, closer to him, where we can experience the love of God more purely. It's through this process that walls within us, ones that we never even realized were there, are removed, taking us to a deeper place of love in him. So why should we strive to experience God's love deeper? Because this world, this world is tired of surface level faith. And I hope as you're listening to this, you are shouting, high-fiving the air, saying, hey, amen. We want a faith that's more than a mouthpiece. We want a faith that prompts our hands, our feet, our voices, our minds to action, the kind that does something that screams authenticity. We want God like the apostles had God. How did they have him? Maybe you're wondering how did, how did they have him? They had him in ways that were life altering, where he took the lowest of society and lavished them in his extravagant love, calling them higher, where he took those that couldn't see and bless them with sight, where the sick were healed, where they experienced him. They experienced him in ways others could not deny nor take away. We yearn for real. We yearn for genuine. And, and the way for real and genuine is found as we allow God's love to flow over us and to consume us. Some of us haven't been a follower all of our lives, which means experiences we've had have likely conditioned us to believe things that are not true. Those of us who haven't lived a life pursuing Jesus, we often grapple with what love really is because our definition of it in general isn't accurate, especially God's love. We're often like the lyrics of the song I tried my best to sing to you, proclaiming settling for a lifestyle that isn't God's desire living in a state where we've numbed ourselves and we have absolutely lost sight of the idea of love. Even if you have been a follower your entire life, you may have walked through situations that have distorted your view and caused you to believe love is something entirely different than what God says it really is. Friends, God's love is so rich, it is so vast, it is so deep that it is something we cannot study in one moment and understand. We can study his word over for an entire lifetime and only brush the very surface of it when it comes to truly understanding its meaning. It's something that when we step into eternity, it's going to prompt us to spend our time with him shouting and praising his glorious name. God's love, it's a big deal. And it impacts our pursuit of biblical womanhood, embracing our position substantially. If we don't accept God's love for us or seek to understand its immensity and continuously try to gain understanding, we will not have the confidence, the belief, the security, or really even the desire to step into the way we are called to live as true women of God. The more you study what God's love says about you, the more you will see the truth of that statement because once you catch a glimpse of it, you cannot help but reach for him and be prompted to action. I want to share with you a golden nugget of scripture that is found in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. Many of you may be scratching your head wondering, Zephaniah who? Zephaniah is a minor prophet, a book 
included, included in our Old Testament. And this is what chapter 3, verse 17 says. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I love this verse. This verse tells us a whole lot. It tells us this, God is close. He brings us victory. He celebrates us with gladness. He renews us in his love. He exults over us with loud singing. God's word is true. When he makes these statements, he means them. He prompted them. He moved upon, he breathed upon the prophet Zephaniah to write these words and for them to be preserved throughout time for our, your eyes, and my eyes to behold them. But sometimes we show our stubborn and stiff-necked nature, and sometimes it doesn't feel like he's so close. Sometimes we don't see a way to victory, but victory, my dear, is a promise. Sometimes we can have a mindset that really questions, why would God have gladness over me? Self-doubt, distorted self-view, trauma from our past, those things can draw us to think there is nothing to celebrate when it comes to ourselves. Sometimes we can believe our life is so crazy mundane or so messed up that there is nothing to exult over us about. And we can even be tempted to laugh at the idea of God singing loudly over us. Maybe we're smirking, we're eye rolling or thinking, yeah, right. That's not happening over me. But God, he's not a man that he should lie. So if we aren't receiving any of these things, it's not something wrong with God. It's something off with us. And this verse serves as an invitation to step closer to him, to ask for understanding and to allow him to challenge our thoughts and renew our minds according to his word. Let's focus on the piece of this verse that says he renews us in his love. It does not say he renews us in our love. Human love is not God's love. I'm going to say it over and over and over and over and over again. And the more we allow God to soften our stony heart, the more we realize this is true. We can't look at God's love in a way where we think it is dependent on us. Viewing our life as a hierarchy of sorts with us at the top and then God, it, it comes natural to us. But just because something comes natural to us, it doesn't make it right. This thought process is egocentric and we can't be that way. We cannot think that way. This thought process is one of the problems that the Corinthian church faced. It's one of the things Paul, he addressed when he wrote Corinthians. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you'll remember Corinthians. That's where we find the often quoted love chapter. And we're going to dive into that one in just a little bit. But for now, back to this egocentric inclination that we have. We need to look at God in a way where we understand we exist in him. Yes, yes. He exists in us, but he stretches far beyond us. Not only is he in us, but he surrounds us. And it's imperative that we understand that we are not the starting point. He is. So repeat after me. I am not the starting point. Jesus is. We have to focus ourselves to a place where we understand, accept, and submit ourselves to the truth that God has to be our center. And to get it right initially, it can take some forced mental training some self-discipline might even require us to write it on a sticky note to remind ourselves. The kind of intention where we are putting on the helmet of salvation, we're capturing thoughts, we're surrendering them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It requires us to take a posture of humility 
and to understand it requires, we set off on a pursuit of discovery. How does God love us? What does his word tell us about his love for us? Before we answer that question, we have to have an initial understanding. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, where it says, For now we see through a glass darkly. Ain't that the truth? I can't stand that statement. If my wonderful, sweet, dear aunt is listening, I know that word ain't. It just sent a shiver down her spine. And I am right there with her. But in this instance, I just can't use proper grammar to stress it enough. For now we see through a glass darkly. Ain't that the truth in so many things? Perhaps that phrase doesn't make sense to you. Maybe you identify more with the statement hindsight is 2020. Well, I know it's not a direct translation at all. The concept, however, is similar. When we're walking through things, we don't fully understand why things are happening as they are until we get to the other side of the situation or the circumstance. The same is true in 1 Corinthians. This whole life, we are looking through a glass darkly. We don't fully understand what's happening. No matter how much we think we do, we surmise we do, or how hard we try to. Because guys, God's ways are higher than ours. There's way more to it than our mind can, can hold or understand. This statement, it directly parallels to the way we see God's love. For now, we see it through a glass darkly. But the more we walk with him, the more we seek him, the more we pray to him, the more we read about him, the more we activate his word through our obedience to it, the more we allow him to lead us through situations and experience those hindsight is twenty twenty moments, the more the darkened glass begins to clear. The more revelation we gain, the more our understanding is open, the more confidence we gain in trusting our Lord to lead us through as we look through this glass darkly. As revelation and understanding as that's given by activating God's word, we have to hold tight to it. Because just like the Israelites in the Old Testament possess that incessant, forgetful nature that drives us insane as we're reading, so do we. There are times where if we're not careful, that darkness, it can tiptoe its way back in. We're often, we're guilty of making up our own definition of love. And that definition becomes distorted as we walk through different situations in life. It, darkening that glass, shutting God off, shutting people out as a means of protecting but it's false protection. It's false protection that starts to think, I've got to protect myself. We may walk through something and mistake correction from God as rejection. Or maybe we reach out to do something for God and we feel people are perhaps rejecting our effort and we misfocus and think, well, God, that did not work. We go into projection, protection mode and think, I am not doing that again. That leads us to a place of self-preservation and self-preservation is wrong and has a way of hardening our heart and darkening our glass without us ever realizing it. And we're tempted to be like that one talent servant, the one who hid his talent out of fear. Just as I said previously, we live in a culture that mirrors that of the Corinthians when it comes to the value we place on ourselves over others. If you don't believe me, just think for a moment. Have you watched the news? Have you scrolled through social media and noticed our culture seems to have lost the understanding of the power of unity, the beauty of loving and respecting and having a relationship with someone who thinks and believes differently than we do? And it's because of the idol of self that we've allowed to be erected in our mind and in our society. That, my friends, darkens our glass so quickly. Studies have been done on what psychologists call groupthink. Group think is not something we want. 
but it's something we're drawn to. Our natural desire to surround ourselves with people who think the same as we do. Dismissing all others as wrong and devaluing them. Experiencing God's love in a full way gives us confidence to truly love others, seeing them as the soul God sees them as. And appreciating them enough, appreciating them even though they think differently. It's this idol of self that has closed off a portion of our view. It's darkened our glass and limited our ability to see and experience the love of God. And it's all a result of pride. Pride separates us from God's love. So let's get to answering that question. How does God love me? And let's go to his word for understanding. God is our benchmark of sorts when it comes to love. And we don't even know what real love is without having a relationship with him. For those of you listening that may be new to a life of Christ or haven't yet determined if you want to be his follower and you are already crazy in love or you're surrounded by an overwhelming amount of love, please don't dismiss me. I'm not discrediting what you have or what you know and what you've experienced. I'm not speaking in a condescending know-it-all way by any means. I'm speaking from a place of invitation to you, one challenging your thinking in a respectful way. How amazing is it to think that what you are experiencing now can go so much deeper and only become better. If you could experience more love in life, why would you not pursue it? We would be silly not to, wouldn't we? God's love is so big that it takes progression. It's a progression to reveal to us what it is exactly. The amplified version of scripture in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 tells us, by this we come to know progressively, to recognize, to perceive, to understand the essential love that he laid down his own life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for those who are our brothers in him. That, my friend, those, those are God-breathed words. Imagine, if you will, his hand is reaching out, beckoning you and me forward to trust him, to reveal this essential love to us. But now we got to get to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. This is what I want to look at. This chunk of scripture, we often, we hear it quoted at marriage ceremonies. And as a result, often it leads us to look at it from a perspective of human love. Today, I want to challenge us to level up our thinking and look at it from the lens of how Jesus loves us. Scriptures say, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Let's replace love with Jesus. Scripture tells us God is love. Scripture also tells us Jesus is God. So it's okay for us to make this replacement for a moment. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand his own way. He is not irritable, and he keeps no record of being wronged. He does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I love doing that because doing this takes these scriptures and it draws us to a deeper place. No, no longer is this a self-centered scripture. It becomes a Jesus-focused set of scriptures that opens our eyes to see, oh man, Jesus, he is so good to us. 
I didn't think this type of love was possible. But it is when I look to the scriptures because it's all laid out for us to see and reach for understanding of. When we read this word, patient, our mind needs to be drawn to the long-suffering love God loves us with. The whole reason this world is still in motion is because of that long-suffering love God has for us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So here he is patiently waiting for us to repent and surrender our lives to him. In this long-suffering love, he endures evil without being filled with resentment or wanting to destroy us. Looking at this word this way, understanding God's love for us and how it works this way and how it's an example of our, our love toward one another, suddenly those who exhaust us with their behavior, who constantly dismiss our effort to love them or dismiss our attempts for friendship rather than saying we have no time for them, it teaches us we must learn to continue to love and to wait to sometimes wait long to see the beauty of those loving effects of patience on them, just as the longing effects of God's patience on us. Love is not jealous. We gotta linger here for a second because God is undoubtedly a jealous God. Scripture says that. But God is not jealous in the envious, I wish I had what you have sense. We have nothing that God didn't give us, and he neither desires or needs anything that we possess. God isn't jealous of us. He is jealous for us. And there's a substantial difference between those two. God simply wants us. And as our creator, our provider, and savior, he is absolutely right to want our devotion and love. God's jealousy, it's not sinful. It's further proof of his love for us. It is the kind of protective, loving jealousy that prompted him to wrap himself in flesh, purpose to die for us so that we could be with him. Yes, God is a jealous God. And for that, we can be very thankful. Jesus is not boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand his own way. Guys, we've been given a choice. We see that so clearly presented in the garden and still the presentation of those choices today. He is not irritable. He does not get upset at our mistakes. He teaches us to proclaim in Micah chapter 7, verse 8, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the Lord God Almighty, shall be a light unto me. Jesus keeps no record of being wronged. Our sins, they're washed away. There is not record of them once we have been baptized in Jesus' name filled with his spirit, repenting of our sins, there are no record of those wrongs. And we know about that in Isaiah 43 and 25, where it says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. When he says he remembers our sins no more, he means he remembers our sins no more because he keeps no record of being wronged. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. There is a scripture that says he made a show of them openly. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Truth has won, and we are getting ready to celebrate that so profoundly 
Truth has won. And it is that which he is rejoicing over. He's not rejoicing over injustice. He's rejoicing over the fact that truth has won. And it is truth that is the victor and the conqueror and the redemption for all of us. That is what he rejoices over. Jesus, he never gives up. His pursuit of us is perpetual. As long as there is breath in our lungs, he is there. He never loses hope for us. There is a plan for us. His love is enduring. He left the 99 for me. He left the 99 for you, the one. Jeremiah 31 and 3 says, Long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. His love endured an unimaginable death because his love for us is greater than the pain. Psalms 136 goes on to tell us of his enduring love. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the one who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. His faithful love endures forever. He killed powerful kings. His faithful love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, his faithful love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his faithful love endures forever. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. A special possession to his servant Israel. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. I don't know if you caught that or not, but that whole chapter of Psalms is telling us over and over and over again, his faithful love endures forever. The truth, we have to receive his love by faith before we have the capacity to love him back to love each other, our families, neighbors, enemies, at the immense level he desires us to experience it at. This world leads us to a place of distraction, which can draw us to a mentality or lifestyle that will lead us away from God's love, to a place where we're anxious, competitive, chasing after meaningless success, meaningless relationships. If we don't have a daily relationship with him, where we're working to activate his word in our life, our stony heart will lead us to chase after everything but him. Ultimately, our soul yearns for love, and we have to feed it with true love, with the characteristics we outlined today. Love as defined by this world is not going to lead us to a place where we experience the hope and future God has promised us. 
But accepting the love of God will bring reassurance and confidence to do things we never thought possible, to give like never before, to strive after biblical womanhood, the life God has purposed us for in a way that we never imagined. So today, as we prepare to step away from this episode, I want to challenge you with an action. If there's a characteristic we talked about today that you you know that you struggle with, commit it to prayer. Study it out. Fast about it. Seek revelation and understanding of it. And remember, this is a progression of revelation. It's okay if we don't understand all of God's love in one sitting. It's okay if we bump into one of these characteristics and wonder, how can it be? This world can try to raise some mighty barriers in our mind, erecting strongholds, but God's love is stronger. God's love prevails. It always wins. It's it's in it for the long haul with the ability to obliterate anything that attempts to challenge us from receiving revelation to what his love is all about. Are you willing to consider for just a little while that God's love isn't the same as the biological father who walked out on you, the one who didn't stick around long enough to truly know you, the husband that hurt you, the boyfriend who mishandled you? God's ways are not our ways. His love is not like that which we often see played out around us. I wonder today, are you brave enough to consider for just a moment that the abuse you may have endured was every bit tragic, every bit horrific, but it had nothing to do with the love of your Heavenly Father and everything to do with the sin of a person. Are you yearning to fill that gaping hole within you, the one that just wants to feel loved, to feel valuable and understood? Are you willing to consider that it's his extravagant love that has drawn you to listen to this podcast today, to help you grab hold of even the slightest glimmer of his Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand his own way. He is not irritable, and he keeps no record of being wrong. He does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. As we walk away from this episode today, I pray that you are challenged to really stop and consider the depth of God's love for you and allow His love to change what you think about love now. If you have relegated it as that second-hand emotion and you too are wondering what love really has to do with your relationship with Christ, I pray today that your thought process has been changed, that you have allowed God to open up your mind and to see the depth of love that He has for you. And just as we allow Him to pour His love on us, watch as our reception to His love activates us to our purpose for His kingdom. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you for taking time to listen. I hope over the next few days, you'll take some time and really think about what we just went over. Look for a way to apply it. It's when we activate the word that we really start to step into the life that Jesus desires for us to live, that authentic Christian living. If you found this episode helpful, share it. And please leave a review. When you do, you help elevate the She Chooses podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find. And if you're like me and you like to digest information in varying forms, you can find the full episode transcript on the She Chooses website. 
check out the show notes for a direct link. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe, making sure you never miss an episode.